Hello and welcome to Digfin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you value the program and our content, please give us a like and let YouTube know all about it. My guest today is Jason Tu, founder of Miotech, an Asian-based ESG fintech that is helping portfolio managers and other financial institutions, as well as corporates, with ESG-related reporting, data, and services. I spoke with Jason about ESG trends, what's happening in Asia in particular, and the way that data is beginning to really make a difference. Jason too, welcome to Digfin Vox. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, great to have you. Um, you have been a leader from the technology side in ESG uh, in this region uh, for a while. What is going on with ESG in China and how has COVID impacted that? So Miotech is a healthcare provider uh, focused on Asia Pacific. Um, in, we started off in China, uh, in the greater China region. Now we have expanded into Southeast Asia. So back to your question, uh, what we have observed in the past, I would say, two years um, is that there's an, a, a fast-track adoption of ESG. Um, this is partly because of um, uh, all the buzzwords you have heard in terms of, for example, supply chain disruptions, uh, supply chain uh, due diligence, and all the regulatory moves, for example, of uh, SFDR, Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation in Europe, and also the regulatory moves in China as well. Um, and there are more stringent scrutiny on data security issues, et cetera, and et cetera. So I think both from the uh, supply chain perspective and also from the, um, the uh, regulatory perspective, um, it has actually propelled the, a faster adoption of, uh, of ESG in the region. What is the reporting situation like? So in Europe and uh, other countries, there are increasing requirements, whether it's at the exchange level or the corporate issuer level to report data around emissions and other ESG related factors. Uh, is it similar in China and Southeast Asia? Do they have um, their own versions of what this looks like? Yes, um, they are very similar um, from, uh, from the overall kind of uh, uh, ESG reporting standards. I think both, uh, for example, mainland China and um, First of all, Hong Kong is uh, for sure at the, the forefront of it. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's uh, way ahead of the other jurisdictions in the region in terms of regulation, especially in terms of uh, exchange regulation uh, or exchange rules uh, like uh, rolled out by Hong Kong exchange. Uh, having said that, if we're talking about exchanges, for example, in mainland China and also in Singapore, um, they have also been moving in a reasonable, uh, reasonable speed in terms of uh, making ESG disclosures mandatory. Um, for example, this year, um, or uh, late last year and early this year, uh, the Shanghai and Shenzhen Stock Exchanges has uh, rolled out guidelines for companies to report uh, as much as possible on their environmental metrics. And uh, for example, uh, on um, CBIRC, uh, the 
China Banking China Insurance banking Regulatory and, uh, Insurance Regulatory Commission. Regulatory Commission. Uh, exactly. Um, they have also rolled out um, guidelines. These are, notice that I've used the word guideline. Um, most of these are guidelines right now. So it's not mandatory, but um, at some stage, I see it becoming you know, mandatory requirements very, very soon. And uh, similarly in Southeast Asia, I would say led by Singaporean government, its push is even faster and adoption is even faster on the regulatory side. In your view, I mean, you're a technology provider to these uh, to, to financial institutions. Um, how, how fast is this pace of change compared to what uh, you, you think portfolio managers think they will need? Are they getting enough information uh, that from, from the investment side to be able to start making good decisions around risks? Uh, first of all, we right now we have expanded our business in the past two years. So we're not only serving financial institutions, but also serving corporates right now um, to help them collect the ESG data and measure, measure their ESG data. But on the financial institution side, I would say um, we've seen a lot more interest uh, and the interest has grown very rapidly in the past two years. At the same time, I think the asset managers uh, or the buy side and sell side altogether are... Uh, really uh, you know learning and uh, teaching themselves to uh, adopt ESG in a much faster way you know starting from you know 2021 and into this year in 2022 we've seen a lot of uh, kind of mid-sized and even smaller sets hedge funds becoming our clients uh, and that's a very good sign mm -hmm. and uh, although you know, some of the larger asset managers and asset owners, to them, their methodologies are more sophisticated. Um, so they have their internal research team, they have their internal implementation across multiple business lines. Um, whereas, uh, you know, the smaller financial institutions like the hedge funds, their needs are, are simple. Uh, for example, LP reporting. Uh, mm -hmm. How do they re report to their LPs or compliance, regulatory compliance? How do they comply with, um, uh, for example, the European uh, kind of uh, reporting uh, standards, uh, disclosure standards, um, and or, you know, the new set of uh, guidelines from SEC, for example. ESG is a very broad term, right? It, environmental, social, and governance. And these things can mean... I guess they can be interpreted in different ways depending on where you are and what the what, what are the priorities of a given society. Um, in in uh, in your business, do you find that there's a certain emphasis on parts of ESG and not on others? No, a very good question. I would say uh, yes or no. Um, the yes in the sense that uh, you can clearly feel the you know, uh, the, the, the very strong trend, for example, on carbon emissions reduction and on clean energy, even with all the geopolitical issues that are happening around the globe right now. And, uh, you know, uh, countries are pushing forward their clean energy plans, um, their carbon emissions reduction plans. Um, but having said that, um, since we're serving the uh, finance community, both the finance and corporate, I do think there is a slight gap. So for financial institutions, I think they're adopting a more holistic approach mm -hmm. to ESG, which means that um, although there's been focuses on environmental issues, 
um, the financial institutions also want to focus uh, or also want to uh, take a holistic view of SNG and social and uh, governance part. Yeah. What is the way that you collect the data? Uh, one is from publicly available sources. And under this, we have, for example, um, you know, extracted data from their uh, from companies' reports, um, reported data uh, that not only includes you know financial reports, uh, CSR reports, um, but also any kind of disclosure the company has voluntarily announced into the market by themselves. And also, on the other hand, uh, it also includes, for example, any uh, public information that is available on the web uh, or from news sources. And uh, so this is the first category, uh, what we call reported data or uh, overall speaking, publicly available data, uh, right? So it's reported data plus uh, what we call alternative data. And the second category um, is uh, direct collection uh, or sharing of the data by the company. Um, and that's why we have built up our corporate service arm as well. So we serve um, corporates to help them collect ESG data. Um, and the, there's a third dimension, and um, this is in complement to the first and second. If we don't have the first, uh, the publicly, uh, publicly available information, we would help, for example, financial institutions to engage, engage corporates um, by using our software. But even if um, you know, we try to engage the corporates, sometimes there are still missing data. How do we do it? Uh, we give a reasonable estimate. Uh, you know, there's uh, different or a variety of different methodologies to, to estimate the data. Uh, st stakeholder management is a growing uh, concept. Uh, I guess it's often put in contrast to say uh, the neoliberal, um, mantra of shareholders come first, second, third. Um, but yet we still live in a financialized world um, where giant fund managers are still making mm -hmm. uh, decisions based on, um, you, you know, their the value, you know, traditional metrics around growth and, and profitability. So uh, how, what, what has to happen for stakeholder values where a company's perceives genuine need to uh, not not that it foregoes profits or that it that it goes against shareholder interests but that it may be moderates those because there are other interests is that actually happening and and what has to happen if stakeholder values are to become uh, actually embedded in the capitalist system it has already happened for many years and people, probably just didn't notice that. Mm -hmm. Let me give you two examples. One is both in the capital market. Uh, one is that how many, if think about it, how many fund managers or shareholders care about dividend right now? Mm -hmm. A large number of companies go listed, that go get listed uh, without profitability, right? So there are various reasons behind it, but I'll explain later. And, Second of all, think about earnings release. If we were to dial back like seven or eight years ago when I was still you know, very active in the capital market doing all the trading, 
Um, there are a lot of, uh, uh, for example, uh, really betting against the earnings release, mm -hmm. um, whether the number is going to be above expectation or below expectation. But is this still happening right now? No. Earnings release can hardly have a material impact on the company's um, really the, 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 their financial performance right now. Why is that? It's because we are actually in the past, I would say a decade, we're transitioning, the capital market is transitioning into a more holistic view of the company. And it's not only based on, it's not based on, it's not dividend based. It's not purely on financial metrics. You know, bad behavior of a chief executive uh, or some negative um, uh, reputation of the of the overall governance team or environmental pollution uh, or even some you know political incorrect kind of uh, directions or comments can severely impact their stock price so that justifies the overall transition into an, a more ESG aware market and that's been happening over the past decade yeah the, the broad nature of ESG with multiple factors, particularly from the portfolio manager's side, um, does that create a, an issue around greenwashing where you can, you might have all the data, but that data gets used to make justifications mm -hmm. based on something that's, let's say, not environmentally friendly, but, you know, they've got good labor relations, but they're polluting the hell out of the, you know, so uh, uh, how, uh, I guess, effective is this broad church of ESG um, in terms of actually making a difference, particularly on the, the E part of it? Uh, well, greenwashing is a very big concern in the industry. I have to say that. Um, but we are also seeing the ESG industry or ESG standards evolving in the sense that if you look at the overall ESG structure, right, it, the bottom of it or the, fun, fu the fundamental uh, kind of uh, the, the, the foundation of it is um, data. But on top of that, you have to have, for example, accreditation and assurance. That's also happening. Um, accreditation and assurance cannot happen without a globally recognized standard or a globally recognized um, say benchmark agency uh, or uh, rules. Right. So the, the closer that we get to an international agreement around how we define and label these things uh, and the data that supports that, uh, the easier it will get, even though we have maybe some conflicts of, def uh, not conflicts of definition, but conflicts of priority. I guess, uh, in terms of what people should focus on as being the key risk uh, within ESG. Um, but you're saying that the data will, if, if we have this agreement on standards, then the, the data itself will allow us to, um, to make better decisions. So I think um, ESG is very similar um, to the transition into a more stringent uh, financial reporting rule uh, 20 or 25 years ago. Um, so I think um, it, it's going to be there and it's right. going to take some time if you think about the whole, 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 whole thing that happened to financial control in, you know, in, in the early 2000s. Let's finish up with talking about the tech itself. Um, obviously, data is the core of being able to make ESG work. 
uh, whether you're a corporate or uh, mm-hmm. a shareholder um, uh, or, or another uh, service provider in, in this space, where are we with the, I guess, the, the volume of data that can be categorized uh, and applied? Um, how, how, you know, if you were to give it a, you know, one is terrible and 10 is amazing, uh, and you're a, a portfolio manager or a wealth manager or a hedge fund, um, what, were you, what are you probably feeling right now? I would say we were somewhere uh, around four or five. Mm-hmm. Four or five, okay. But it's not a di- disappointing news. Yeah, so which means, you know, we, we're hardly there. We're not there uh, in terms of the comprehensiveness of our coverage, in terms of data quality. Uh, we're not there. But what I can tell you is that we are also at our best. So with the best technology, we can achieve 405. That just tells you that without technology, you're probably one or two. Mm-hmm. What will be some of the technological innovations you expect in the next couple of years that will help improve uh, all aspects of, of finance around ESG? I don't think it's going to be rocket science, first of all. Uh, the technologies that are going to be helping ESG adoption, um, but rather it's going to be reliable technology uh, that can uh, you know, enable faster and more secured adoption. What do I mean by that? If you think about, you know, we've been providing information to financial institutions, um, but then the fundamentals of the data comes from the corporates. If you were to, you know, if we were all together to enhance this data collection and uh, help corporates, um, you know, collect, analyze, and manage their data, it's a very big effort. The corporates don't have their ESG data is because they can't, they don't have the data internally. Right. 99.9% of the corporates that we talk to, it's not that they don't want to do this disclosure. They don't want to share the data. It's simply because they haven't gathered all the data together themselves. Right. And this is really a big effort on the technical side um, because as you have correctly pointed out, there's greenwashing and there's reliability of data. So I think uh, all in all, on the technology side, it's not going to be rocket science, like a new thing that we're going to invent, uh, but rather is going to be the existing technologies, including, for example, data technologies like NLP, like uh, Knowledge Graph, and also including, for example, um, you know, infrastructural or what we call DevOps uh, technologies, for example, on um, data security, um, you know, and also across multi-tenant deployment, and also on data security uh, overall setting, and also even including, for example, on blockchain, on ledger technology, and how to keep it. So I think uh, we're very looking forward to adopting all these different technologies uh, and helping the industry to um, uh, enabling the industry to 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 have a faster kind of uh, transition into the ESG aware, more ESG aware kind of world. Well, look, Jason, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, to talk to me today. Thanks, Gene. And, um, you know, I will look forward to more sharing and more collaborations in the future.